whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do. 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 Or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Welcome to Whatever You Do. I'm Danny. And I'm Abby. We're just best friends trying to figure out how to bring glory to God in whatever you do. Are we here? Hello. Here we are. Hi. Abby just had to turn that on with her toe. I did. We're trying a new setup today. Well, by trying a new setup, you mean the laptop is almost dead. (laughs) I don't think we're going to continue to try to do this in the future. What we really need is I need to be buying an outlet. (laughs) Yeah. And so she turned it on with her toe. So my chair wouldn't squeak. <laughs> Probably our chairs will squeak anyway. Yeah, well, we try though. We try to make it not be a miserable experience for you. Um, yeah. We have a special guest this week. We're so excited. Extra special. I feel like last time we had guests on, our husbands, they were disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> they were disappointed with how we introduced them. Tim was like, this is it. This is like the Did you tell him we don't do this often? Did you remind him we're not professional about this? No, I know, but he was just, like, thinking we were going to give some great intro, and so now I'm feeling the pressure of, like, how do we, like, introduce our guest on today? Well, our guest is more famous than we are. It's true. So, (laughs) very, very Our husbands are not more famous than we are. No. Mm -mm. So, we get to be hanging out with Joy the Girl. From Sheologians. Hello. How's it going? We're really We're, glad we've that you're... you to be on this for a while now. I have uh, had many conversations with you guys, but never, like, sitting perfectly... <laughs> In a triangle? In a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we're sitting perfectly, but we're close. We, you did a good job. Thank on you. This setup. My really mm-hmm. professional set. <laughs> oh, good. You put it. On I right put it setting. on the right setting. Good. I mean, things are going well. You guys, it's legitimate. This, in here. We are legit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Keep telling us. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, it's been a whole. Let's see, ten months mm-hmm. since. You had Georgia, and yep. ever since then, we're like, oh, we, need we gotta, have- it was ever since we came to your house, right after you had her, and brought right. formula, and had this conversation that we were like, we need to have Joy on our podcast, uh-huh. because these are all the things we, like, are talking about, and want to, like, have a conversation about, and it only that took was, 10 months. That was probably the last time the three of us were alone in a room, Yeah, maybe. Well, and we, we technically, alone. even Georgia then, was Georgia there. was there, well, and you guys were pregnant. Yeah, I yeah. Guess we yeah. probably were. I was pregnant at your birth. Yeah. I'm like just now realizing that yeah. <laughs> that was that true. Ha- I remember because the doctor asked me like, "Oh, so you're going to have a baby too?" And I remember being like, yeah, I am." And she was like, "Is this your first?" Like, oh no, it's my sixth. And she was like, Whoa, what? Like, she like, Why would you do something? Oh, what are you thinking? Yeah. So, I do remember that from your birth. You're like, it's all flooding. I didn't know that. That was a new, that's a new story mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I didn't know that happened. That was like, when I, what was that? Was that with Deke and Arrow that I went to the hospital with you when you were having your 
some gallbladder attack or something, but I was like, remember, I was like massively pregnant. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it was, I had the high amniotic fluid, uh-huh. so I looked like I you was were about, about to give to, birth yes. with twins, and, and you're I think like, it was like 37 weeks. You were like, actually, we're like, checking her I'm in? like, I hope that we don't like get me stuck here by accident or <laughs> yes. something. Yeah. Just don't fill out any paperwork. I know. I'm like, <laughs> they're going to come in here and try to get me in a bed yeah. if I'm not careful. That's yeah. funny. Anyway, how was your week? Busy. I what from did last you tell me week, about today? You told me today was like nine days. It felt like nine days worth of like energy and effort. I just feel like directions your mind going. Yeah, in like different. I feel like it's exo- like it sounds bad, but it's exhausting to have like not the normal people over that I normally mm-hmm. have over. And so when there's multiple of that, those in one day, it just leaves me oh, feeling right. like... And then just, like, other people contacting me. You and would like, be the least of those. Yeah, so you're not really... You <laughs> don't like really count. <laughs> I make it sound it's like... super exhausting to have Joy here with us. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be going out of my schedule here. Man... <laughs> We wanted you to be here, but wow. <laughs> I'm going to need a <laughs> No. Just like, also like a ton of like multiple conversations with people. Yes. But that, kind of all different directions. Yes. So it's just been, it's just been one of those days. And I've been trying to be really productive this week. And so it's just led to like. productive in just different yes, ways. Yes. I was still productive. It just, I feel like after the first week of like a new schedule and groove of yeah. like working really hard. And I'm like, it's, I'm done. Mm-hmm. That was good. I did it. Yeah, I did it I quit. <laughs> I worked hard and I was diligent for a week, and now I need a couple months off until I start my new schedule. <laughs> That's pretty much how I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a good week. I have a story from my week that I've been holding in. Except that you know it, but I know it, but I want to relive this moment again. So. So. Wednesday. You have to start off by saying what the person told you in the car that you were with. Oh, yes. Because that just really is like the perfect part I of the know, story. It really okay. Is. Well, so Kenzie turned 13 back in April. So it's now July. Mm-hmm. And one of our, our main birthday present to her. First of all, my kids only get birthday parties at certain years. Okay. So, like, 10 years old, they get one, and then 13 years old, they get one, and then 16. But, so this was supposed to be her year for a birthday party, which we still haven't done for her yet. Right. And her birthday present was getting her ears double pierced, like, her second piercing for her ears, which we still hadn't done. Mm -hmm. And so, Riken's birthday is coming up next week, and we were trying to do a reach group swim party not on his birthday, but circumstances have kept unfolding that now it looks like we're going to be doing a swim party on his birthday, which is the type of birthday party she wants to have that we Uh, keep not scheduling. And anyway, I was just feeling like, okay, we need to show her that we care. So I'll take her to go get her ears pierced and it'll be great. So (laughs) our friend Ashley came over and brought her boys over to swim with my boys. And I was like, well, do you want to go with us to the mall to get Kenzie's ears pierced? She's like, yeah, that'd be so much fun. So we're, we're getting ready to walk out the door and then Paxton wakes up from his nap that I thought he was going to be sleeping longer. I'm like, oh, I might as well just take him. So Chip doesn't have to be trying to swim with the two year old and take care of the baby. Right. 
So load them in the car. Um, and we get to the mall and we go to Piercing Pagoda and they've got a sign up that says, be back in 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, okay, man. So in 20 minutes, like well, it said it, it had the time. Oh, okay. I'm no, like, how would you have back, any clue? It said be back at, and the person clearly didn't know how to use a clock accurately. Oh, dear. It was like the, you don't want that person piercing your daughter's ears. Well, no, you know, you know, it was a regular yeah. analog yes. clock, but they just put the, the hour hand directly on the four and then the minute hand at 45 and oh, the okay. homeschool mom and me yeah. is like, you need to move the hour hand like to right. almost the five. Not right. not the five, but uh-huh. it needs to yeah. be like forty five minutes into the hour. And even Kenzie saw it and was like, "Does the person not know that that looks more like three forty five than four forty And like, I know it does, but I'm pretty sure they mean four forty five because it's four twenty five right now. So, so like, okay, we're gonna stand here and wait. And so Kenzie and Ashley go to the bathroom and I'm still standing there because I don't want someone else to walk up and us lose our spot. And I'm standing there and Paxton doesn't have a very frequent pooping schedule. Okay. It's every like three or four days. Okay. So we're standing there, me and him. Of course. And I hear him poop a lot and I'm like, oh no. I didn't grab any diaper bag of any kind because I wasn't even in my mind wasn't like because you weren't even gonna take him the baby with first, me. Yeah. It was like we were literally walking out the door and it was like, oh yeah, sure, grab him and we'll throw him in the car. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Then I also realized that I had bought these really cheap diapers sometimes we buy our diapers off of auction nation <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> and, and get the good huggies ones well i bought these on auction nation too oh okay i bought a box of parents not... choice okay so i got them really really cheap yeah like 15 dollars for like 350 diapers like well wow. <laughs> really cheap and it showed <laughs> yeah well so i'm like oh oh no this is not the diaper i would prefer to have on him when he just pooped after like three days of not pooping right so i'm like holding him carefully like okay it'll be okay just have to like not make any sudden movements <laughs> so they get back and i'm like Paxton pooped and I need to go to the bathroom and check it out and see what is going on. <laughs> and I don't have any diapers and Ashley's like, oh, but there's that CVS, like there's in Chandler Mall, there's like by the bathrooms in the food court, there's a big CVS vending machine. Oh. Of so, things that you could like buy out of it. Yeah. That has like all sorts of mouthwash. It was probably created by a mom that Except didn't have diaper. No diapers in it. <gasps> no. They have like pads and tampons and migraine medications and like all sorts of things. It's like a pretty big vending machine. So I'm like, okay, surely there will be a diaper over there. Go and I'm like looking at the whole thing multiple times. Like, where did I miss the diaper? There has to be a diaper. No diaper. So Bummer. I go into the bathroom. And realize when I see him in the mirror <laughs> that poop is already completely like running down his leg, <laughs> like badly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, 
What do I do now? So code red. I I put him into the sink and I wash his leg off and I just grab a whole bunch of paper towels and kind of wrap them around him and I take him. I'm taking him. I'm walking back out and they come and meet me and they say, "Bad news." Piercing Pagoda is not doing any piercings right now. They are only doing them by appointment, but they're not even making appointments right now. And you can maybe make an appointment next week. And I'm thinking, okay, well, have to be other places here in the mall. Like, right. Claire's, Claire's and somewhere. Yeah. All these places I need. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to figure this out. I, actually, I had walked back out and I was standing at the vending machine again. And that's where they met me at. Okay. I was re-looking at like, right. there has to be you something You needed here. a diaper. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like put my credit card in and I'm about to buy some pads. Okay. I'm like, well, next best option. Right. Can finagle something. Well, and now that he's gone, he's not going to go oh, again. So, Abby wanted me. I missed a critical part of the story that as we're driving to the mall, Ashley's telling me how first she totally digs herself into a hole because she tells me she says something about how she's 35, and I'm like, I know, I'm 35 too. We're at the same age. And she was like, Oh, I always feel like you're so much older than me. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, okay. She's like, No, not in a bad way. I just feel like you have like your life so together, and you like have so many kids, and you know what you're doing. <laughs> Well, I'm still not sure that's true, but... So this is, like, prefacing the beginning of our outing together. How I seem so much older than her, and... Um... So, she's like, oh, I think I have some pads. Because I also don't even have pads in my purse, because I don't even have my period back from having my baby, so... Mm -hmm. So... She has two, like, extra long nighttime pads, and we go into the bathroom, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I can just, like, take the diaper off and wash him up and put the pads in his onesie, and the onesie will, like, hold them on. But we get in there, and no, it has, like, totally gone up his back, like, all into his onesie, like, everywhere. (laughs) So I proceed... To strip him down. This is also, like, we've got masks that we're, like, right. kind of trying to wear, but we don't want to be wearing them, and yeah. it just feels flustering. Also, yeah. you've, like, committed to make dinner for yes. all of Brown Town this night, yes. including, like, I don't know, how many kids do we have? 22 kids and six adults. Like, so, you're all, and it's, like, and almost it's, five o'clock. Right, because I was, in my timeline, I was like, okay, we're going to get to the mall, 425, be done with piercing by like 445, I'll be home by 515, slap together dinner by 6, it'll be great. But then we get there and I'm like, okay, they're not even going to be doing the piercing until they get back at 445, it'll be... So I had kind of sent out an SOS to Abby, like, ah, we could eat dinner really late, or if you want to start making some food for me. Right. Um... So, I strip my baby naked in the mall, in the bathroom, and I start washing him in the sink, giving him a little bath, mm-hmm. and um, I had a, I don't really know how to describe this part, but it's one of those, like, really wide, 
you can wear it as like a it's like a circular neck scarf slash headband. headband. Oh, okay. You so know? it's like a headband, like a thick headband, but it's like, like super a loop. super yeah. thick. Yeah. Okay. So you can um I it was it's like a cream colored one with purple flowers on it. <laughs> so Oh I know that one. Yeah. So yeah. I got um, it for you. I'm pretty yeah, sure I have the same pattern. <laughs> Yeah. Like a headband, which makes sense. Yeah. That's how Danny and I are. We have similar. <laughs> they also have the same voice, according to Tim. Oh, yeah. We'll have to get into that after you yeah. finish your story about how you made a diaper. <laughs> so, we use one of the pads, and then I use a bunch of paper towels around the pad. Mm-hmm. And then I pull it up on him like a skirt, but then I take the back, the bottom part of the back piece and pull it up and I happen to have a little one of those clips. It's not a pa- it's not like a paper clip paper clip, but it's one of those squeezy Yeah, like paper the black oh, like the black okay. ones. Like okay. the binder clip. Yeah, like yeah. a binder clip gotcha. and it was like a tiny one. So I had a tiny binder clip. So I I binder clipped the <laughs> underneath part like up through his oh. legs up to the top of mm-hmm. the other part. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, okay, we're committed to going and getting your ears pierced. <laughs> so we went to Claire's and they had two people in line already to get their ears pierced and she was so nice and was like well I seen this just around the corner and maybe they don't have a line so you might want to check there mm-hmm. and I was so grateful she did that and I didn't wait in line for right. forever and so we went in there and the worker just acted like nothing was abnormal that your baby all. is in like this and even somehow knew that he was a boy even though he's wearing his little amber necklace and a floral like loincloth <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, your baby's so cute. Do you like that? Is that an amber necklace? And I'm like, oh. why are you acting like this is normal? This that is like I put this on him on purpose or something, but apparently I just went with it and you pulled it off. Yeah, I clearly. guess so. And he didn't pee the whole time. He made it all the way till we got home, and oh, that was the other thing is that I always have diapers in my car. Uh-huh. But my dad had just brought their second vehicle up to Mesa from Tucson because they're moving to Michigan, and Chip and the boys are gonna drive that car in two mm. weeks to Michigan for them. And so I had, I can't remember what was going on, but I was like, well, I'll just take my dad. Oh. That was what was going on. Chip had been washing the van, and the windshield just broke all the way down. Like, <laughs> completely cracked Whoa. all the way down that day. So I was like, well, I don't really want to drive it with a completely broken windshield. Right. So I was like, oh, I can just take my dad's car. So as uh, I'm standing there in the moment of packs and pooping, and I'm realizing I don't have a diaper in my purse, I'm like, well, I can just... Oh. I can't put a diaper on him when I get to the car. Because <laughs> I don't Because I don't have anything out there either. Not even wet wipes. Nothing. Like, none right. of the normal things that I try. I'm not a prepared person. I'm but bad you're also this. not this unprepared. Right. Typically, I'm not, like, your most overprepared. I don't have changes of outfits and those types of things. But usually, somewhere... In my life, but we also like haven't been bringing our babies anywhere. It's true that it just yeah. is. We're so just not in the right so groove for that. It definitely, I think, helped Ashley know 
It was all for Ashley. You were wrong. She was like, never mind. Do I seem young now? (laughs) Young and inexperienced after all, eh? (laughs) I sure got you good with that one. (laughs) So, that was my big mall adventure. So what you're saying is, even if you don't have a diaper, you still might have a diaper somewhere. You can figure something out. Just figure it you out. You can figure... Oh, but she got her ears pierced. Yeah. Yes. And what Ashley did say was that the difference of why I seemed more experienced in that moment was because I wasn't, like, breaking down and crying right. and having, like... I was like, well, just use a paper towel. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll just give she a bath like, in the sink. It'll be fine. She was like, that tells me that you've had multiple kids. And I'm like... It might, or it just might be my personality, because I feel like I know other moms. I feel like I've had multiple kids, and that would not have been my reaction. Right. I would have been like... You would have been like, we're not doing this. Let's go home. That's exactly what I would have done. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, sorry, Graceland. (laughs) Get in the car. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, we're doing this, even if my naked baby poops all over me while (laughs) we're... Not coming back tomorrow. (laughs) It's already taken three months to get here. (laughs) So... Yeah, that was that was the highlight of my week. Wow. So glad you were able to share that. Um, so how was your week, Joy? It was good, busy. It just seems like weeks fly. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just it's an interesting thing having a kid at work with you, like trying to do like desk work. Yeah. And have a little baby. Does she uh, nap well there at your office? No. No. She doesn't really ever nap well. Yeah. Um, she definitely naps better. Like, I love the weekends because we're home all day. And yes. I'll, you know. But um, my mom, for Mother's Day, she got me this little teepee. Oh. So I'm going to put something in it to make it soft. And then Napping hopefully, tent. yeah, I can. I got one that I can, like, kind of lay down in. Yeah. With her, yeah, and then I can try to sneak Get out because uh-huh. <laughs> I will. I have a big, like, round pops on chair in my office, so I was taking the cushion off that, and she was napping on that. Uh-huh. But you know, I have to lay down and nurse her while she, yes. Well, I suppose I don't have to, I but could. it helps. So there's someone out there is probably like, you could sleep train her, but I don't that know. takes time. Well, yeah, and there's a part of me that. I just feel sad. She's still your baby. It's okay. I know. She can still be your baby. It's not like she's... She's not even one. Every... All the time, I'm like, we should probably put her in her own bed. You know... But then I just... I don't know. I think that... When you... When you get to the point where you need to do that, you'll know. Yeah. You hit a point where you're like... And I feel like there's different points with different kids. uh Uh-huh. Right. Well, and it's... I think it's... I think... I forget who said this to me. It might have been you, Danny. But it's it's important to remember with sleep schedules and stuff that there are pros and cons to both. Mm -hmm. There comes a time, obviously, when a lot of ladies, like, need to Mm -hmm. sleep train. Um, But there's... One of the perks is that her schedule is super loose so Mm -hmm. we can kind of if we need to go somewhere at the last minute we can we don't have to be like oh but georgia just went down for her three-hour nap and Mm -hmm. now we're stuck in the house like right so in in a way our schedule it kind of works uh just for what we have going on now Mm -hmm. and so and the more kids you have the less likely you're gonna be able to just i mean maybe you'll keep that 
spontaneity going, right. but it gets harder too when you've got multiple children yeah. who. I anticipate that once, I mean, even once we have just one more kid, mm-hmm. two kids, it's I can only imagine that it requires just so much more organizing of your life and that's really impossible to do when it's like well i guess we'll see when all 10 of our children take a nap today (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but yeah other than that i mean i don't know i feel it's so weird i feel like it's a friday and then all of a sudden it's friday again and it's friday again and man uh time just speeds by it really really has been lately but i really think i don't know i think this week uh god's like really pressing me to kind of rely more on him Hmm. you know how you kind of like check your boxes and you're like oh like i'm gonna be mentally stable because like i'm reading my bible and i'm praying (laughs) and you know like i'm being nice to my husband (laughs) (laughs) and then there's some weeks where I don't know. It's like, um, I guess my conviction is that I'm not just supposed to like plod through every week. Mm -hmm. And so I need to rely on God for extra joy and energy and enthusiasm and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much the, uh, the theme of my week, but yeah, cause you do that enough weeks in a row and you're just like each. Tr- I mean, it sounds a little bleak, but you you get to the point where you're like, when was the last time I enjoyed something? <laughs> and not right. that you're yes. like, not that you were forlorn all the time right. or moping, but just you're just like, you're wow, I'm just in autopilot yes. and yeah. right. kind of missing what's going. Mm-hmm. It's like you're almost focused on some sort of like. If I do all these things and I'll reach my end goal, but you almost right. forget that sometimes the end goal is like paying attention to what you're doing in the moment of it. Right. Instead of just getting everything done. Dying eventually. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I guess this is just what I do. I'll do this until I'm dead. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um so Georgia, mm-hmm. your baby yeah. is Ten and a half months, we said that already, mm-hmm. but your birth, you, I think I'm, I'm thinking you'll be in agreement with this when I say that I think it would be good to talk to you about birth philosophy mm-hmm. and I feel like you were kind of a classic example of hoping that the current kind of birth mindsets that you could kind of merge them together and walk like down like in the middle like take a middle of the road approach yeah and i know that you've told me that you kind of have learned that that doesn't work as well as you hoped it would right and so i was hoping maybe we could talk a little bit about your pregnancy and birth and why you don't like what you learned about Right. That. Yeah, in the beginning, I had this... Well, and I'm a very, like, middle... Kind of middle-of-the-road type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just... I don't know. I, that was a thought that occurred to me at one point. But, um, yeah, I entered into my pregnancy with this kind of, like... 
optimistic idea that I, you know, because I had... What were some of the goals that you were hoping for with your birth? Not that you were set on that they had to be this way, but some of the... I mean, I think it's obvious that some people go into birth being like, well, I want an epidural. I don't want to feel anything. I'm like, I'd be fine if I get a C-section. And there's other people who are like, I really don't want to get an epidural I don't like there's certain things that you can kind of have this idea of what you're hoping for right and so well I had been exposed to home birth I photographed two home births and um and the thing that I really took away especially from it was the same girl each time um and so like a lot of the variables were the same, like mm-hmm. same room, same person, same time of day. But it what occurred to me during uh, her first uh, labor was that even though she had never had a baby before, it was like her body kind of just knew mm-hmm. what it was doing. Um, <laughs> and then I was very impressed with the midwives there and her doula. Um, and just kind of how they would like walk her through things. Um, but it was all very much led by her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, because it was their first uh, baby, they they called me super early. So I was there for a very long time and I got mm-hmm. to see like this whole sort of progression of events. And I just thought it was like, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I had never really been, I until... I was exposed to that. I I didn't realize how much I had been exposed to just, like, you go sit. You go into a hospital, and then they put yeah. your feet in, up, and, you know, you have a... You scream, and you, and you have a baby. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had opinions. I had some, like, cursory knowledge of reasons why women wouldn't want epidurals. I was very aware of, um, uh, like mom shaming mm-hmm. whether I, I'm sure that that exists to some extent but sometimes I do think that um, like we like the shame we're feeling is from our like it's from within yeah um, nobody's actually said anything to right. you that is where they're right shaming you but you feel like you're right. being shamed yeah, yeah. it's yeah. your idol that yes. you're dealing with so when other people like speak about it you are kind of prone to yes but i mean that being said i do know that there there is like a mom shaming community but yes, yes. so um but i knew that i wanted to be um left alone from what i saw uh at the home birth that i was at Unless there was a reason. Right. Yeah. So I knew that, yeah, um, basically without realizing it, (laughs) well, what I was looking for was the home birth experience that I saw, Mm -hmm. but in an environment where if something, where if I did need assistance, Mm -hmm. that assistance would be available. Right. Right. Um, So everything was very normal and typical in my pregnancy. And then I had a late gestational diabetes diagnosis. I just want to interrupt you for a second Mm -hmm. and say that I think that desire to have a very hands-off, left-alone, let-your-body-do-the-process but be in a place where you can get help if you need it. I think that there's a, a decent 
a decent group of women who like it that sounds like a very reasonable right request that doesn't really sound like yeah you don't I think that's what a lot of women <clears throat> would want even if um even I would even venture obviously there's some people who home birth that love being at home they love being able to climb into their own bed and that mm-hmm. kind of thing but I know a lot of the home birth community is sort of their um, because they have to be, mm-hmm. because the alternative is like sort of a lot of things they don't want. Whereas, you know, I, I, right. Basically, well, you, and back to kind of the question you asked me, I don't think it exists, unfortunately. That middle of the road. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, and, um, I think a lot of people would say, well, what about a birth center? Like, right. isn't that the middle of the road? But there's a lot of reasons why it's not. When you kind of find, I think if you can attempt to understand the motivations of your more traditional OBGYN hospital births, if you understand the motivation, which is that um, it's like standardized care, so it's a, it's one type of so it's one person a specific Mm -hmm. person receiving care that they have to create for every type of person Mm -hmm. right so they have to take the people with the most risks and all of that and they have to be putting you up against all of those right and they have to create uh like spectrums of things so you mm-hmm. could be on the very low end of something which i was i experienced but you're put in the same like category as someone who legitimately would need help mm-hmm. uh, right. because in, you're labeled the same label even right. though it's all right and that is for care. i mean i understand that in a hospital setting that would be absolute chaos if they like did, if they weren't more standardized and so i think i don't know i think it's uh you also have to understand of course that there's liability i never would want to accuse any doctors or nurses of not caring mm-hmm. that they obviously the reason why they're so um prevention based i would think on a personal level like between each and every individual nurse and doctor is probably because they have seen horrible tragedies mm-hmm. and they don't want those things to repeat. Mm-hmm. I do also think it's very important to keep in mind that um, your uh, a spe- like a specialized field, you're going to be tra- uh, trained. <laughs> we have um, another special guest. Hey, Georgia. Did you feed her her pouch? Okay. She's just. Hi. <laughs> Do you want to join the ladies? Oh, yeah, me. I guess I don't know. You really don't need <laughs> We're talking about you, Georgia. Camille. You just needed to be in here with us, huh? <laughs> Like, I need my milk. Dad doesn't have that. Um, Okay. So you were talking about... Oh, they're going to be trained in a certain way. Right. So they're going to be trained um, in the protocol and science that currently, like, the, the... traditional uh, medical well, community sometimes is trained in the in. science and sometimes right sometimes the science doesn't catch up with the protocols very quickly yeah sometimes yes. it's not sometimes especially for whatever reason in this area you have a lot of really evidence-based 
science happening and that's not being embraced like you know things like skin to skin and breastfeeding and delayed stuff. cord clamping right yeah there's a lot of really where when you even really go back to science. how it started in the first place it started out of convenience or right. completely miscalculated yeah. science right it wasn't actually science. yeah we've improved we now know which there's i mean thank goodness We've learned a lot about birth over right, but, 30 years even. But some people are are very stuck in the traditions. I mean, right. when you consider that there's doctors still practicing who started their practices back yeah. 30 years ago. I mean, and when then, you become a doctor, when you train to become a doctor, you're probably planning on doing that for a really long as time. long as possible. Right, right. <laughs> like, there are doctors practicing, you know, into their 70s, like, mm-hmm. right. just depending on what kind of shape they're in. So, yeah, if you're in your 70s now than you started and it was completely different from how it is now right um but yeah so uh and i don't i don't really think uh it was something that i uh i i don't think that i realized just how um like prevention minded Mm -hmm. they were which is why I thought I could just, like, I'll just educate myself and I'll go in, I'll walk in knowing exactly what I want um, and being prepared to ask questions and... Well, like, and you think that there's going to be informed consent. Right. Like, true yeah. informed consent. Right. Like, you think they're going to present you with the options and then you get to pick. Right. But yeah. typically that's... They present you with the option they want you to do and then you either go along with it or... You have to... Yeah, usually it's... And usually their protocol or whatever is sort of framed as, like, this is the best mm-hmm. route for you to take. And sometimes that there isn't even another option. Right. That you have to seek out the other right. options. And in an emergency, I am extremely grateful that uh, there are educated, informed people to make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's where I would say I... that is That is where I could not cope well mm-hmm. um and it just gets exhausting to have to advocate for yourself yeah especially um, when you're in the place of such vulnerability right. when you're in a pregnancy at the end of your pregnancy when you're in labor all of those things it's such right. a different state of mind in right. a different place than you're in just typically yeah well yeah and i i like my pregnancy was kind of it was sort of uneventful and i had I just found someone initially uh, who I thought looked good. It's, like, so hard to... Did you switch? Yeah, I switched midway. Because I... And this is the weird thing. Just, like, you know, you're trying to figure out what you want this all to look like Mm -hmm. and what you think it should be and make decisions for your little kid before they're born. And, um... And uh, you're, like, just scrolling through the Aetna <laughs> website, just, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, does this Nate, like, <laughs> you're, it's, like, uh, right. judging a book by its cover. Like, yeah. you go into Barnes and & Noble like, yes. and you just, like, kind of, like, this oh, one this looks one looks nice. cool. <laughs> yeah. I like that name. Yeah. And so, well, and I picked a place that apparently had midwives. They didn't end up having midwives there. Um because that was the magical cure all for all my concerns right was just to find a midwife because they would be because that word 
holds this right. connotation for people that they're going to do things differently. Right. Which is, I would say, is similar with birth centers. Yes. Right. But they're still midwives, licensed midwives, especially ones that practice in hospitals. In are hospitals, s- they're all CNMs. So they're, right. Yeah. They're nurse. They're nurse trained yeah. mm-hmm. first. Yeah. And I mean, like all these, every single. Uh, woman at the practice I was seeing had a master's degree like they had all they were all highly educated highly experienced women but um they are still uh trained in one system right and then for they, the most part yeah they're you're gonna find for... the exceptions that did a lot of home births or right. whatever and have seen birth work out normally and but for the most part, they're nurses who... Well, and they work within the bounds of the hospital. So right. the protocols that exist there, the advice that exists there, um, those are going to all be adopted by a midwife that works for a practice that delivers in hospitals. Right. They have to. Right. And birth centers are also... They're, they very much still have to abide. They everyone who Anyone who is licensed... And this is true of all uh, psychologists, uh, you name it. Right. There is, there's ethical things they have to abide by. There's a huge board that they answer to. Right. Um, obviously, depending on what you do, it's more serious. Um, and, and these things are good. Right. But they're not as good when they are, when all the rules are determined by... People who who are essentially training the same OBGYNs, and when when everyone is going through a similar training, and then they have the same policies and protocols. Right, and and kind of going back to what Joy was saying about the everybody being in like needing to kind of fit one standard, right? Because you mm-hmm. have such a broad spectrum of people, so. I think that's a lot of the policies and procedures even higher up than just the doctor's own own determining mm-hmm. comfort levels get put at this place of, you know, like things like, oh, if they measure more than two centimeters outside of their, like their fundal height is more than two centimeters off of their due date range, then you need to be paying extra attention to that. And that risks them out of like potentially not doesn't automatically risk you out of like a midwife's care, but now you need to get more input. Mm -hmm. You can't just determine like, well, this mom has had five babies already and every single time her fundal height is higher like maybe this is just that's not getting written down in the chart somewhere right it doesn't (laughs) really matter to them because they're just treating you as like this is an isolated event again Mm -hmm. and right and your own input as a mom a first time mom or a seasoned mom is of very little value as far as what you think you know about your body right their I mean, numbers and their charts usually trump right like right asking how you're feeling or right well and that can be hard when it's your well i know danny you've told me it's hard every time there's always like if you allow sinful fear to creep in like it will make a home no matter mm-hmm. how many babies you've had well and the other thing is that i i feel like 
every pregnancy has, whether it's whether it's physical things that fall outside of the ranges of completely normal or whether it's you're having different emotions than you've had before. I feel like every experience is a unique time and you're trying to navigate through is everything okay or not and when you take on the responsibility of that and you don't I think that's one of the key elements of why doctors and nurses do have to act the way that they do because they are assuming almost full responsibility of the decisions that are being made for you and they're used to that and they're used to people wanting that people wanting somebody else just tell me what to do and so they're having to make choices that they feel the most comfortable with like I'm I feel the most confident that I can somehow control the outcome of the situation Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean I think that's a fundamental area that all three of us would disagree with that we don't feel that especially this important and big of an event in your life and in your baby's life that we should just be kind of blindly handing that over to some professional to handle and take care of. Mm-hmm. Right. That we should look to them for their wisdom and for their experience. And But ultimately, their, it is our responsibility. Right. And that they should be presenting it in that way to us. Like, yeah. here's been my experience. And looking at your individual experience, you know, these are some... These are the risks I see. These could be the benefits of, like, not doing something a certain way. Like, if you get an epidural, these are going to be some of the benefits, but these are some of the risks, and I want you to fully understand the risks. I feel like when I was told my, like, quote-unquote informed consent before my epidurals, it was like... Literally, they'd come in with the paperwork and be like, obviously, things can go wrong sometimes, but it's really, really rare. And, you know, the doctor does a ton of these every single day. And, like, so just sign right here and Mm -hmm. let's get this done. And they make you feel super good about it. And, like... They'll also do that with a spinal tap on your baby. Yes. (laughs) They will tell you that it's totally fine and it's normal and do do them all day. (laughs) I think the thing that they don't have to see is that for that... So say it's only 1% of women end up having some sort of long-term nerve damage from the placement of the epidural that Mm -hmm. kind of was a little off. Like, the, the doctor who did the epidural never sees or talks to that woman ever again. Mm -hmm. Even if she deals with it, and even if she goes back to doctors and she tries to get help for whatever problem happened, that doctor that did the epidural isn't the one. And those nurses who were there with her, they don't see her again. They don't see the repercussions of that. So they just see the happy mom who... That baby and mom are both... And that mom didn't feel anything and that she went from moaning and being in this really hard state of being to now she's like sitting on the bed and talking with everybody and happy. And so I think it's a lot easier to kind of downplay the like, Mm -hmm. this is super rare. It doesn't really happen very often. But for the one woman out of a hundred that it does happen to, it could be life changing. Yeah. Or I know some women have a reaction where they like just pass out. 
Yeah. And then they miss the whole thing. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe they wanted to be there. I yeah. did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. You really don't know. I mean, most people haven't just gotten epidurals for no reason right. before they're well, in the Well, that's a hard of... part of our culture is that the assumption is kind of like, why would you want to be there? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, have that. I've like made it a point to not have that conversation with anyone. Like I'm not going to explain to anyone why I want to be there for the birth of my baby. And I'm not, uh, that being said, like you can, you obviously can do what your birth, however you want. Mm -hmm. But I know that I would be really upset if I was given a shot and passed out and missed the whole thing. Like, like very upset. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's for certain parts of our it's like for certain people they were they'd just be like well why would you even like want to do it right and it's like well <laughs> it's important and it's it's amazing and so I don't like that's something that I just don't even think I'm not even like willing to engage with that point because that that tends to be the the sort of like end all be all argument mm-hmm. from some people that you basically like, just like just get over it. Do you feel like that's as true in Christian circles as it is in secular circles? Um, no. Well, I guess in my circle, I don't think so. But I do think I think that. Well, I think culturally, I like most- Christians pretty well resemble. <laughs> most of the rest of the United States. Right. I feel um, like I haven't run into very many people who would just say I'm fine with being completely out of it right. for the birth of my baby. Yeah. I feel like the majority of women but I think a lot of women think they can be more present with an epidural and they just are like, well that won't happen to me that right. I, like yeah. that I have a bad reaction to it. But I think there's also the point going back to like reactions specifically from epidurals of like what you were talking about, but there's also like side effects from epidurals that don't even get acknowledged was because of that right, right, you know, like right. the snowball effect of things that take place of baby's heart tone going down, your blood pressure dropping, like right, and that's the area I don't feel like I had true informed consent right. at all. I mean, it's right. not just like, a major thing. The only thing they right. mentioned was like occasionally in a very 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 small percentage, like bad things could happen. Right. But they don't, I don't feel like they made it clear, like, so just so you know, like, we've taken your blood pressure and it's already running pretty low. So when we give you this epidural, it's going to bring it probably a lot lower. And we may have to use emergency medications in your IV to try to stimulate you to bring it up. Right. Like, they didn't tell me that, but that's exactly what happened. And they didn't seem surprised by it. They seem like this is something they do all the time. Yeah. The point isn't epidurals are bad. The point is, is that you should be given all the information instead of given information in a way that makes you pick the thing that follows hospital protocol and makes Uh, kind of their system easier for them right right it does i don't say that in a like oh they're just all being evil and conniving right but it's harder to support a woman who is in a lot of pain and 
check on her and help her be comfortable than and it is someone, someone who who's can't like feel anything. Trying to get into different positions and like do all mm-hmm. those things that you have to then like adjust to right. versus like when you can just throw her legs up in a stirrup and like do your normal and the lady can just lay there like mm-hmm. and push when you tell her to push like that is much more like controlled and managed and comfortable and how frankly that's how everyone is like trained in medical school like right. they're not trained in medical school how to attend natural births and like what that looks like right yeah but yeah um no i i that was my absolutely my experience was that well every like everything was normal I switched over, got a late gestational diabetes diagnosis, and from that point on, it was like they didn't. That you were able to manage by just changing oh, a few yeah. things with your diet. Yeah. So I very wasn't... quick. I was told I had it, and then within three days, I had my numbers managed. Um, I. Got... But that didn't take away. That no. diagnosis diagnosis from your chart. Right. So yeah. when your chart is going before you to every all these people who don't know you personally, right. then that's the first one of the first things they see. Right. Is like and that shows up as like risk factor, oh no. Yeah. But gestational diabetes, this is one of the points you were making. So you got labeled with that. You right. change your diet and within three days you're doing well yeah. and having normal numbers. But it looks like the same as the person whose needs numbers insulin, are like, like out, off the chart. To survive. Yes, right, <laughs> right. So for there the are person women, looking like... at that, it's not fair to them to assume they have to assume the worst side right. of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because again, they're liable. They're carrying a lot of the responsibility right. of making the decisions for your birth. Right. Because people are just wanting to give up that responsibility. Right. Yeah. So they're going to make the decision that. Um, that research shows is the best decision. But even then, a lot of a lot of the research that uh, informs like the 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 things that they do in uh, hospital births or practices that deliver at hospitals is um, it's like so. There's like a f- a phrase. Um, it's. Uh, like medically relevant mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, um, like the research is medically relevant. So it doesn't mean it has to be like this overwhelming statistic. It's just relevant to the birthing process. Like it might be something you want to mention if this person has a disease, then B might happen. Right. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of really, um, if you actually knew the number, you might find it insignificant or irrelevant to the mm-hmm. decisions that mm-hmm. you want to make. Um, but because of the way the scientific and medical community work, um, they do report it as relevant. Even, and I'm telling you, like very, very small numbers, they're mm-hmm. still reporting as relevant. Um, but so I. So when you are seeking for the data and asking, and trying to make your own decisions, it can be really confusing trying to wade right. through. Like, okay, most is people this don't really tell you. a problem, or is this not really a problem? Right. Yeah, I um, I got my diagnosis, and then I had a you know we're like I'm at thirty six weeks, we're getting to the end of my pregnancy mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and um. 
Well, they immediately told you they wanted to induce you at 37 weeks. Well, they, that was because, so I was going every week. Mm -hmm. So I got the diagnosis. I went in the next time and, um, they took my blood pressure which now you've been told you have like issues going on and they're right. asking you to log your food and all this right. stuff. Yeah. So you yeah. go in and you get your blood pressure taken. Mm-hmm. Just for a normal, normal visit. I'm not like at, you know, rescue level or anything like that. Um, and at this point, I don't even think they've said anything about inducing me. But, um, but they take my blood pressure and the girl's like, oh. And she, like, walks out. And I was like, okay, that's never happened in one of my appointments before. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come in, they take it again. Um, I had a pretty, what you'd consider, like, a standard blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, because I don't generally, I haven't had my blood pressure taken a lot. Most mm-hmm. people have, most healthy 25 to 35-year-olds have not had their blood pressure taken regularly. So they don't even know their baseline, which is important because my whole life I thought like, oh, you know, like this is this over this and you're good. But some people have really low blood Mm -hmm. pressure. Generally, my husband has much uh, lower blood pressure than me in general, like Mm -hmm. when we're just at rest. Um, But so I would say that my normal blood pressure... It, would have, it was probably like 60 over 120 normally. Um, no, it was probably closer to like 60 over 130. You mean when I had typically over 60? Yes, oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry. like, wait a minute. That <laughs> You're like, sounds no. really You're dangerous. You're like, no, that is really bad. That is really bad. Wait. <laughs> Backtrack. Cancel the show. Um, no. Yes. No, I'm sorry. You're Other right. way around. I'm sorry. You're right. Um... But so, uh, my blood pressure had gone up, like, five points, Mm -hmm. five to ten points, um, for both diastolic and systolic, and, uh... So, evenly, too, which makes a difference. Yeah. That it's Mm -hmm. not, like, only one... Jumping up, yeah. So, um, they didn't, like, explain what that meant to me. My husband was on a camping trip where... He was, like, didn't have any uh, cell service. And he was with someone who, like, came to church occasionally, but nobody really knew. So nobody had his phone number. Um, (laughs) And they, well, one of the midwives came in that was, like, in the part of their rotation. And um, she was like, okay, so we're going to send you over to the hospital. And I was like, okay. She was like, we are, um, uh, they're gonna like monitor you and, you know, hopefully you leave and you won't have had your baby. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, there isn't like a conversation of like, so this is what we're finding and these are no, our concerns no. and what do you, like, how have you been feeling and what do you think? And right. here's some options. Like, you know, we might recommend that you go over to the hospital, but do you think, like... Right. Well, or we're going to recommend you go to the hospital so that they can take you to their triage area and monitor your blood pressure for a longer period of right. time. Not not go over there and maybe you'll leave without having your baby, without right. your husband right. at 37 weeks. Right. 
which is not what you want it to do. Right. And now you're alone and you feel like you're going to be forced into a situation that like you don't want to be in. Right. So I go over there. I'm trying to stay super calm <laughs> and not cry, but and I'm not have like, your blood pressure go up even right, more. Yeah. And I honestly, it got to the point where like, I don't even know. There were times, there were times later, like in the next few weeks, because I persisted that I would not be induced. Um, so they did things that they, like, I did multiple uh, urine out, like 24-hour urine mm-hmm. collections. And the girls at the lab were like, oh, I don't even think we've had someone do more than one. Mm-hmm. Which means that they do one collection. And if they see anything, even mm-hmm. a trace amount of anything, um Like, well, let's just have your baby. They just induce you. But what they don't, um, what they don't tell you, uh, is that your risk of a C-section goes up wildly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we're talking like from like 36, 37 weeks to 38 weeks. It like, if you can wait till 38 weeks to be induced, like your chances of a C-section goes down by 25%. Mm-hmm. So we're there, we're talking big numbers. Like you're talking about at 36 weeks, risking like 50, 50 chance of having a mm-hmm. C-section. Mm-hmm. They won't tell you that. Even if you explicitly say, I do not want a C-section. That is like the last thing like, that I want. Am I so in danger right now that obviously if you're like, so in danger that they're like, we think you could die in the next three hours. Right. Like, yeah. Like then you're like, okay, well maybe a C-section's a good idea. Right. Like, but, but ca- typically when they're going to induce you, they're not typically going to induce you if they think you're doing okay. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and I do, you know, like you were talking about the induction is kind of, it's like a, it's a little more hands off than a C-section, obviously, <laughs> but it's still a way to control like more variables, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, which in certain cases you do want to control variables. You want to keep people healthy and you want to keep people safe. Um, but I remember I was in the like the waiting room, and they came out. Uh, a nurse came out and she was like, "Okay, so you do." We are diagnosing you with gestational hypertension. And I was like, I feel fine. Like, I feel okay. Georgia's okay. Um, like, there's there's nothing going on. Like, there's nothing in my urine. I'm not... My kidneys and liver aren't doing anything. Like, mm-hmm. um, my blood pressure is slightly higher right. than it has been. Right. We're also talking... It's summertime. Like, it's, it's hot outside. Um, I'm getting towards... I'm, like... I, I personally believe... And, like, people who have never struggled with their weight don't always know, know this necessarily. But I think you have, like, a weight where your body just starts... It doesn't seem like it would be that significant. But, like, there's a big difference in 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, like, 10 pounds can be the difference between plantar fasciitis, high blood pressure, pre-diabetes, mm-hmm. like, all this stuff... And so you're talking about the end of your pregnancy, you're putting on some weight. And as someone who has previously been the weight mm-hmm. that I was, and then I lost a lot of weight, um, it was I was kind of like, well, like, I wouldn't be surprised if my body was struggling a little bit. My back is hurting. My hips are hurting. Like, I, I am having physical side effects because physically what's going on, like, 
you know, I need to be healthier, like for my body to do better at this. Right. But at the same time, I'm not like in an emergency situation. I'm not having sudden headaches. I am not swelling. Um, I right because they were they were concerned about preeclampsia. Right. Yeah. Is what they're. Yeah. But you had no other. Right. Because gestational hypertension is a precursor to preeclampsia, which is a precursor to eclampsia. So that, I feel like that is just this perfect little image of how prevention-based we mm-hmm. are. And and you know what? If that's you, that we disagree and that's fine. Right. But in my mind... But you should have the option to be, right. have it laid out. Yeah. And you should be, they should say like hey, you know, because of all these things you have, we really recommend you be induced at 36 weeks. But I remember you saying you really didn't want a C-section. And so maybe we can look at a few options to see if we can get you to 38 weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, um, and just things like that, letting you know. That they hear you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because a C-section is not not a big deal. A C-section is an Mm -hmm. abdominal surgery. And don't hear that we're saying a C-section is oh, you yeah. failed no, no, and no, no. it's the worst thing in the world and people who have C-sections are big fat failures. That's not no, what we're saying. No. That's how all. we feel about Abby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been needing to say this. <laughs> Jamie no. and I are in the non C section club. Why did I sat you down tonight to tell you how we really feel? <laughs> but this is one of those things that I feel like people can hear us talking This is that mom right. shaming yeah. of like talking bad, quote unquote, right. about C sections and people not wanting a C section and then People listening who have experienced C-section suddenly being like, well, I didn't mind my C-section, so right. why, why like, is I this... didn't feel like it was a big deal. And right. Right. All but... I'm saying is that we shouldn't we shouldn't ever look at a sur- any kind of surgery where they cut you open and take something out as, like, nothing. Right. Which, if anything, it speaks to, um, you know, if, if you have a C-section, people should be taking care of you. People yes. should be bringing you meals. Like, yeah. if you went through something major, I'm not saying you, like, went through this, like, vastly traumatic event. and. Although should... for a, a lot of women, yeah, no. it's more traumatic than they're allowed to acknowledge. Well, because... and especially if it's in an emergency. Right. Because you, generally, you, you don't know what's going on. Well, and so I think either way, but I think they're almost shamed, quote unquote, back the other way of like, if you try to talk about that, it wasn't what you wanted, then Mm -hmm. you need to be quiet because you had a healthy baby and you you that's all that matters. So, well, so what, what terrified me was being in a situation ultimately Uh, You know, we've said a lot of things, but ultimately what it came down to is that I did not trust the people who were handling Mm -hmm. my labor and delivery. I did not trust that if they were to walk in and say, she needs a C-section right now, I would have been like, uh, but do I really? I need to ask you questions. That's, that would have been my first instinct. Mm Mm-hmm. Have your team, like, if, if, don't hear mom shame, hear this. <laughs> Trust the people that are taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And know the people who are taking right. care of you. And understand that depending on the practice that you choose mm-hmm. or the route you choose, I think that's one thing that's hard 
it's hard. We, you want to have these conversations because so many moms think they're going to know their doctor because right. I'm going in starting when I very first get pregnant and I've right. got nine months mm-hmm. until you get like 20 weeks in and it's like, I've never seen the same person. You like show up for your appointment and a different doctor walks in and you're like, oh, hi. And they're like, yeah, we try to have you meet all 12 OBs that are at this office and you're like well and mine was I so I had no idea that there were 12 doctors mm-hmm. here and that right and that I'm only going to end up meeting like eight of you and it could be a totally different one that's yeah. going to show up these are all really normal things that when you've never gone through the process right. of giving birth you, well, why and, would you know and you may have a perfectly pleasant relationship with your midwife or your doctors um, and then your blood pressure will go up by a few points. And all of a sudden... And then every time you go in, they're acting a certain way, and you can hear them talking about you in the hall. I did hear that. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear what they said, but I heard them talking about me. I heard them discussing me out in the hall before they would come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting and telling me that I need to grieve the birth that I wanted to have, even though they weren't answering my questions. They just told me, just grieve your birth that you wanted. Even instead of instead of answering the questions I asked, which were good questions, like, what is the risk of me waiting? Because they're like, we need to induce it 37 weeks. And I'm like, I am 37 weeks right now. <laughs> like, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. I'm fine. Like, you're saying that it's dangerous for me to go past 37 weeks, but I'm sitting right here and I'm 37 weeks and it's fine. And I don't have, there is no signs of preeclampsia at all, which means there's no signs of eclampsia. And they also told you, remember, that there was no way things could possibly get any better right. going forward in your pregnancy, right. that they were only going to get worse. Right. But you took it upon yourself to try to learn and handle things nutrition-wise, get right. your body, which... Did they discuss that with you at all? No. They ask you to fill out the logs for gestational... But they don't... For the diabetes, They don't discuss, like... They don't discuss uh, health or, you know... Amounts of protein or how often you're eating or any of those things. How many calories you're getting. Mm -hmm. Making sure you're supporting your organs and that you're supporting your blood volume and all of those types of things. And you started being really diligent with what you were eating and how often you were eating and your numbers did like you were were times after that that I had at least three or four and you're talking about so I'm having this point I'm having they're making me go into two appointments uh, a week a week and they're doing a non-stress test I've been doing 24-hour urine collections I, I've done more than more of them than most people probably have. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm attempting to be uh, really diligent. And then I'm getting a three or four times, three or four of those times I had normal blood pressure. It had fallen out of the, the high range, even though it was the low, very, very lowest range. Right. But it went back to your normal right. blood pressure that you yeah. had. But it pretty consistently... State, but you know what I did do is I did obsessively check my blood pressure, and um, I did get nervous every time they were about to check my blood pressure. 
Which is super helpful to get a good blood pressure read. Yeah, it's very important to have a stressed out patient when you take a blood pressure read. Right. um, Because I didn't... So instead of... I, I was asking very clear questions, and instead of giving me answers, they just continued to send me... Like, they sent me to a high-risk specialist who, um, I, well, I was, I, I, I really had to, let me make this about me first. Um, I really had to kill my sin every single day because anxiety and worry and stress were, like, taking over my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it got to the point where... I realized, like, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to ever, like, to keep anything bad from ever, ever happening to me or my babies? Mm-hmm. Like, is that something I can do? Um, you know, like, okay. I so think no. that that's that hard <laughs> balance between you do want to be a good steward and you do want to listen to people who have knowledge and you want to make good decisions and you want to try to be responsible. But, I mean... It, you don't have the full control over outcomes. Right. And yeah, and so I didn't want to just totally give up all control. Mm-hmm. But I didn't... I needed to also learn not to, like, try to hold on to every little thing. Right. And um, and it, it really, really changed for me after I met with the high-risk specialist. I asked her, like, so if I don't have any signs of preeclampsia... And I'm doing regular, all the testing that you guys want me to do. Two times a week, I'm doing testing plus 24-hour urine collection every week. Like, this is my new job, Mm -hmm. is giving you guys the testing that you want me to Mm do. I'm like, so you're continuing monitoring me, and nothing's wrong. So, like, am I crazy to just wait? She was like, no. Not No. (laughs) Um... And then she, at one point, she got pretty, like, snippy with me. And she was like, well, what about stillbirth? And I was like... And I wanted to react very emotionally, but I, like, caught myself. And I was just like, well... That's... There's always a risk of that happening, right? There's a risk of uh, six weeks, 14 weeks, 22 weeks. Like, Mm -hmm. name it. You name it. Like, crazy things happen all the time. Five years old five-year-old baby like Mm -hmm. you know things happen so like what are my risks for that Mm -hmm. because that's that's the thing is you can't play the game as though which is what which in my opinion is what the medical community is trying to do they're trying to play the game where no one ever dies Mm -hmm. right but we know that's not true and that's dark that's very dark but you have to make decisions so i but it's not dark when you look at it in light of a christian perspective right yeah because we like we hold that God is the the author of life and death, that He's the creator, and that He's the one who sustains life, and that there yeah you're right that, that our days are numbered, and so mm-hmm. I think that's where I feel like there's a huge rub that I don't feel like the medical outline of things was established with this strong, solid central point of God being the author of life and the giver right. and the taker and 
like doing everything that we do. I, I think there are Christian doctors who try to uphold that and who, who right. value that and try to work around that. But I think that the system in general very much wants to be in control of life and death. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there you can label their motivations for that as being noble, of course. They don't want anyone to experience a tragedy. But the fact is, is that some people are going to. And what I, I established is that I am going... I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. I have a child that's not born yet. But I am a parent. And so it is up to me to make decisions. So regardless of the outcome, I make the decision that gets us there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make, I love her more already than anything in the whole world. And I haven't even met her yet officially. And I'm going to make the decisions to keep her safe, whether that be to agree with the doctor and go along with what she says, or, you know, go kind of fight against it or see, ask questions or see if there's Mm -hmm. eventually we get to what the doctor recommended, but see if there's some alternatives along the way. Right. Or just even monitor, monitor while we wait. Um, Because if nothing's happening and I'm fine and baby's fine, then there isn't, there isn't a reason to go in and and intervene. Right. Um, But I, it, so, first of all, it, the way that she's that high risk specialist said to me, like, well, what about stillbirth? It was a trump card. She, like, threw down a trump card to a pregnant woman that was trying to make a decision mm-hmm. for her child. And, and it was... Um, because in reality, there was nothing about where your numbers and things were at even at that point right. that really puts you at higher risk yeah. for stillbirth than anyone else. The truth is, is she took it personally. Right. Um, and it was unprofessional. And it was not the first and it wasn't the last example of poor professionalism that I experienced in... Because you were questioning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have experienced that, I'm sure, if I had just gone along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told... I went to a midwife appointment the following day because now everything's all clumped together because... <laughs> I'm about, I'm like going to be 40 weeks pretty soon, you know? And, um, and so I went to my midwife's appointment and I like broke down a little bit and I just told the midwife that was there that day, like, it is cruel for you to send a pregnant woman to someone that is going to like throw down a stillbirth trump card that doesn't know what the actual risks of a stillbirth are. Like the numbers. I don't just mean... Because you ask. Yes, yeah. And I don't just mean stillbirths happen. That's not a statistic. That's not scientific. know that. Right, yeah. And so my question was, what are my... What... Like, because of gestational hypertension, did I just jump to a 50-50 chance of a stillbirth? Or... Is it lower? Is it like those are the numbers that I right. get to is know it like, to make a decision? Instead of three out of a thousand babies, it's now four out of a thousand babies, right. or now it's like five hundred babies right. of moms with your right. numbers because that's a big. So when difference. you asked those numbers, what was her response? She just launched into a conversation again about the importance of medical research, but she didn't actually have the medical research. Right. So I told the midwife, I said, it's cruel. You sent me there. Um, and I still 
don't have my question answered. Mm -hmm. And she very, I mean, at this point, I don't know what those midwives thought of me. (laughs) Um, This particular girl that I was, a woman that I was talking with, um, was very respectful of me. And she wasn't going to badmouth a doctor, but... She did find the research for me. And uh, just so you know, you have a less than 1% chance in a healthy, normal, I'm doing air quotes here, Mm -hmm. pregnancy of having a stillbirth. Um, And if you have um, complications like uh, gestational diabetes or gestational hypertension, um, your chances of having a stillbirth double, which sometimes is what's told to you, but it's still less than 1%. So, um, that's, that's important information Mm -hmm. in me deciding that. And that's what I mean. Like it would be one thing if they were like, Whoa, your chances of stillbirth skyrocketed. So for you and for your baby, please hear me and listen Mm -hmm. when I say we need to induce. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that she, she attempted to like basically threatened me into mm-hmm. being induced when the the chances of it happening are almost still the same. Right. Um, and, and it's just a piece of information that I had to ask for. I was threatened with a stillbirth and then I had to actually ask for the information mm-hmm. about it. But then you still didn't even get it then. And then you had to ask right. for it again. Right. It's so, it's not like... Yeah, it's not like they have these numbers so on the tip of their tongue because their their foundation are the numbers, right? Which and I would, I like I understand there's there is so much. I I mean I, in a way I greatly respect doctors. They're able to sit through immense amounts of school. Mm-hmm. They obviously they know more than me about many many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't. It's not even necessarily that I expect to have them like for them to have this photographic memory. Sure. Well, and even going back learned. to the liability issue, so they don't tell you. That's like that's, your blood pressure goes up and you have borderline gestational diabetes and they don't tell you like, well, with these things come a little bit more risk. So right. just so you know, like if they don't say anything and then something happens to your baby, I mean, there's people out there that would be like, you didn't tell right. me any Why of this me, and yeah. now I'm going to sue you because right. if I would have known, we would have induced and gotten my baby out and right. you didn't have me do that and so it's just that balance of I think it's just in my mind it comes back to that not wanting to take on the responsibility right wanting to pass that off to them and they want to play the safest I mean their mind is safest but there's other risks that come along with it, but they won't, those risks won't be judged in the same way. So right. mm-hmm. they're doing a C-section because of, of complications. And then you die during the C-section and it's like, well, I mean, we were doing that because there were problems. Right. So it's not really our fault that something bad happened now because... Right. We were just trying to keep bad things from happening, and it happened anyway. Right. And so. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sometimes it's looked the attempt at doing something kind of gives you like an out mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think that's something that we, I almost feel like the person that clearly has that thought, like, well, if it's somebody else's responsibility, um, that's like a really dangerous Mm -hmm. place to be. It means you're like seriously dealing with fear. Um, it means like you're living under the assumption that something is going to happen that's Mm -hmm. bad um, and you shouldn't live like that but it's also very hard it became very very hard for me um, because I was constantly just hearing with no sort of like tethered numbers but our culture has were going to happen our culture has set it up in a way that because the system works in such a way that the majority of people are just naturally handing that responsibility over right, to someone right. else. When well, you do take accepted. that responsibility on, even if something happens that would have happened no matter what, and that really wasn't a result of you making a different decision, right. you feel like you have to own it and be accountable for it in a different way than right. if everyone was doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If that's how it was working for everyone, then I don't know. It would, you just wouldn't feel the same pressure of like justifying the choices that you very clearly took on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was my, I thought till the end, (laughs) um, that's just our pregnancy. We haven't got to that yet. (laughs) We need to do a part two or it have to be like a episode (laughs) part two. How long do you guys usually go? We can still do it right now. But yeah. That I'm, way people can, can stop, stop and, and regroup. Take a breather after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll be back in a minute with part two. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we end things. Maybe we need to, like, do you need to put your kids to bed? or? I don't know, probably. Nine o'clock. Yeah. How's... Maybe we'll take a minute. Take a little breather. I mean, they're not gonna know when we I come know. back. I know. I just, I just, we talk about our plans all the time on I this know, podcast that are irrelevant to other people. <laughs> this is our good, our good planning we've done ahead of time. We can always cut this out, maybe. No, we can't. No, I don't know how to do I'll that. Just leave it. In. <laughs> we could have pressed up a while ago. <laughs> well, with your toe. Abby, join us next time. Toe. Oh, she's gonna reach. We've been squeaking the chairs all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we'll put out two. We don't know yet, but bye. Bye.